Hello, and welcome to the first ever Paris Cinema podcast. As this month marks the first anniversary of our music and film series Audiodrome, we thought we should do something special for the 12th edition. What better way to do that than to have a look at, more importantly a listen to, the work of one of the most undisputed masters of genre cinema soundtracks, Mr. John Carpenter. The name John Carpenter has become synonymous with genre cinema. He's responsible for some of the most influential and entertaining titles of the last 40 years. His early films read like a list of cult cinema classics. Dark Star, Halloween, Escape from New York, Assault on Precinct 13, while his later, perhaps less celebrated titles such as In the Mouth of Madness, Escape from LA and Vampires, still offered audiences thrilling spectacles, downbeat narratives and edgy humour all instantly recognisable as the work of John Carpenter. The director has the ability to write and tell good stories, engrossing stories featuring interesting and relatable characters in extraordinary circumstances. His films have had an overwhelming impact on countless other filmmakers, although Carpenter himself has modestly downplayed this influence. He once stated, In France, I'm an auteur. In England, I'm a horror movie director. In Germany, I'm a filmmaker. In the US, I'm a bum. Introduced to the piano and guitar at an early age by his father, a university music professor and renowned musician in his own right, Carpenter began composing for films in an era when the potential of analogue synthesizers and digital synthesis was only beginning to be explored. Though he's always quite self-effacing about his role as composer, saying the reason he writes the music himself is because he's cheap and fast, there's no denying that his groundbreaking early soundtracks highlight him as a pioneer of electronic music. His scores are instantly recognisable. Primarily synthesizer-based, they're usually dark, moody affairs, conjuring all manner of gritty tension and a downbeat atmosphere. What makes them so powerful is their minimalism, and particularly in regard to his early scores, their effective restraint. This podcast will cover Carpenter's entire musical career, beginning with his debut feature Dark Star, and you'll hopefully hear how his style has developed throughout the years as he continues to experiment and push the boundaries of conventional film soundtracks. Beginning as Carpenter's university project, Dark Star was met with critical acclaim at various festival screenings and gained a theatrical release in 1974. It has since become a cult classic because of its dark existential humour, homemade special effects, and absurd philosophical musings. Described by Carpenter as waiting for Godot in space, it was co-written by Dan O'Bannon and heavily influenced by Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey and the work of Philip K. Dick. The story revolves around the misadventures of a small crew on board a spaceship 20 years into their mundane mission. Fatigue, low morale and sentient computers mean things start to go awry with hilarious consequences. Carpenter's role as composer of the film soundtrack was apparently out of necessity due to the low budget and tight schedule. It's an electronic soundscape crackling with bleeps, blips, drones and all manner of computerised sounds which hint at the minimal electronic scores yet to come. leak on the ship, and real sorry to hear about the death 
of Commander Powell. There was a week of mourning here on Earth. We're all behind you guys. Keep up the good work, men. to bomb number 20. Return to the bomb bay immediately. But I have received the operational signal. It is a malfunction. This is not a bomb run. We are in a crisis situation. Return immediately. Nevertheless, I have received the signal to prepare for a drop. Emergency override. Return to the bay. Very well. Attention, ship's computer to bridge. There was a malfunction aboard ship during the asteroid storm. I have not yet identified the nature of the problem. Shall I contact you when I find out what the malfunction is? Yeah, let's get out of here. For your listening enjoyment, we now present the moonlight melodies of Martin Segundo and the Scintilla String. Our first selection is the perennial favorite, when twilight falls on NGC 891.
With his next project, the low-budget Assault on Precinct 13, Carpenter paid tribute to one of his favourite directors, Howard Hawks, specifically his Western siege movie, Rio Bravo. A commercial and critical success in Europe, Assault on Precinct 13 showcases themes and motifs that would reoccur throughout Carpenter's entire career, especially its dark humour, scenes of suspense and its siege movie narrative. The film focuses on the lone inhabitants of an abandoned police station who come under attack by a seemingly unstoppable street gang. Cops must work with criminals in order to fend off the gang's assault and survive the night. The score, which consists of three or four main melodies, is one of Carpenter's most instantly recognisable. The main theme was apparently influenced by Lalo Schifrin's music from Dirty Harry, an immigrant song by Led Zeppelin. It was hugely influential, especially in 70s and 80s dance music, where it was sampled by the likes of Africa Bambata, Italo Disco Pioneers Splash Band, and the British House Music Act together. Written and recorded in a mere day, the synthesizer-based music is minimalist and typical of Carpenter's early work. It features stealthy programmed beats, eerie pulsating drones, and its repetitive nature really enhances the relentless onslaught of the gang in the precinct, heightening tension and providing a suitably grim tone. Moody downbeat keyboard music also accompanies the more quiet introspective moments as characters contemplate their desperate situation. Next up we have, without a doubt, Carpenter's most recognisable score. Halloween is the story of a teenage girl who along with several friends is menaced by a masked serial killer who has escaped from an asylum where he was incarcerated after he murdered his sister. Proving to be a hugely influential film, Halloween heralded the golden age of the American slasher movie. Conservative in its morality and featuring stories hung around increasingly bloody set pieces in which randy teens are slaughtered in various isolated locations by hulking maniacs wearing masks. All the slasher movies that came in the wake of Halloween neglected to realise that violence isn't scary, it's the anticipation of violence that unsettles and terrifies. Thanks to Carpenter's restrained use of violence, taut direction, masterful use of widescreen and cold and creepy score, which took a mere three days to compose and record, Halloween remains as unnerving now as it was back in the late 70s. With the emphasis firmly on chilling terror, the haunting music comprised of a simple piano melody in 5-4 time, undercut with dark and sombre synth work, which adds foreboding depth. 
It combines the shrillness of Bernard Herrmann's psycho score with the low bass rumble of John Williams' music for Jaws. The hypnotic rhythm was inspired by a pattern of beats the director's father taught him to play on the bongos. Influenced by Mike Oldfield's tubular bells and the work of Italian prog rockers Goblin, it's one of Carpenter's most evocative pieces of music, conjuring unshakable feelings of dread, anxiety and impending doom. It suits the film perfectly with its back-to-basics terror and simplicity. midnight. Enough time for one more story. After the success of Halloween, Carpenter's next project would be a more traditional feeling ghost story. The fog revolves around the inhabitants of a small seaside town terrorised by vengeful ghouls who hide in a mysterious fog that sweeps in from the sea and envelops the town after dark. After viewing the initial cut of the fog, Carpenter despaired as he felt it didn't work at all. He ended up rewriting, reshooting and rescoring a lot of the film, serving up another creepy piano-driven soundtrack full of menace and tension. The basic piano melodies really work to enhance the understated fear that stalks throughout the film, while a desolate and spooky atmosphere is created by synthesised intonations of pure dread. It perfectly enhances the seaside-based horror, and works to evoke a desolate, windswept and lonely mood. While fairly subtle for the most part, there are more startling, goblin-esque moments with pounding bass drums and clattering metallics that intensify proceedings during the climax in which Adrian Barbo is stalked around a lighthouse by spectral mariners. Try listening to this one alone on a dark and stormy night and just see if it doesn't make the hairs in the back of your neck stand up.
After the relatively lo-fi chills of the fog, Carpenter's next project was somewhat more ambitious. Escape from New York is a sci-fi action flick featuring a grim and gloomy electronic soundtrack. Set in 1997, the film reveals that New York has been transformed into a maximum security prison. When the US president crashes into Manhattan, ex-soldier and convicted bank robber Snake Plissken is bribed and sent in to rescue him. Plissken has 24 hours in which to do this, before deadly toxins injected into his bloodstream make him flatline. Co-produced by Alan Howarth, one of Carpenter's most frequent collaborators, the score is a downbeat and minimalist as his prior work, and just as moody, complementing the gritty dystopian tone of the film perfectly. Returning to the siege narratives of Assault on Precinct 13, The Fog, and to an extent Halloween, Carpenter's next film, the seminal classic The Thing, focuses on the plight of a group of scientists in the Antarctic who are confronted by a mysterious, shape-shifting alien that assimilates the appearance of its prey. Isolation, paranoia, severe trust issues, and some of horror cinema's most visceral special effects ensue. While the icy score is provided by Ennio Morricone, not John Carpenter, I've decided to include a track here, simply because it sounds so much like typical John Carpenter music. 
Morricone delivers a soundtrack that is at times vintage Carpenter in everything but name. Apparently the composer was disappointed that Carpenter, after announcing that he wanted a more European sound to the score, simply used the music that sounded most like his own in the final cut, even going as far as creating several cues to mix in with Morricone's. Eerie, subdued and forebodingly still, it takes its time to weave an atmosphere of frozen despair, perfectly enhancing the freezing desolation and creeping paranoia that saturates the story. After the critical mauling of The Thing, Carpenter was enticed back to the Halloween series in 1982. Not a sequel in the strictest sense of the term, 
Halloween 3 often gets a raw deal from critics and fans of the series. In an attempt to bring something fresh and interesting to the franchise, producers Carpenter and Deborah Hill plan to produce an anthology of films using the Halloween title to feature different stories set in and around All Hallows' Eve. As such, Halloween 3 Season of the Witch bears no relation to the prior installments. It was a bold move on their part, and while it isn't entirely successful, at least they tried to experiment and produce something new and interesting. Recruiting sci-fi screenwriter Nigel Neal, Carpenter produced the tale of a crazed toy maker, intent on returning Halloween to its bloody, druidic origins by killing off the children of America using creepy Halloween masks implanted with particles from Stonehenge. The gloomy, pessimistic tone is effectively enhanced by Carpenter's moody, doom-laden synth-score, which throbs eerily throughout. From the opening scene featuring a man running out of the darkness and being pursued through a stormy night by strange men in suits, the unhopeful atmosphere is established, in no small part by the music, and never lets up, all the way until the queasy, downbeat denouement.
Next up for Carpenter was Stephen King adaptation Christine. The twisted tale of a sentient car and the sinister influence it holds over its new owner, an outcast and downtrodden teenager. The soundtrack would feature various songs from the 50s, the era in which the car was made, combined with hallucinatory electronic music, perfectly evoking the mood of a desolate highway at night as the demonic car cruises stealthily along in search of its next victim. Christine's score is rather reminiscent of Halloween. It's even played in a similarly offbeat key, is made up of repetitive creepy melodies and sustained notes to build tension. Apparently Carpenter was pushed for time, so the more familiar aspects of this score are evident because he actually reworked pieces from earlier scores. While it might be a little derivative of Halloween's clammy score, the music of Christine still manages to produce chills and thrills of its own, as it drives the story towards its inevitably bleak climax. Reteaming with Kurt Russell after The Thing and Escape from New York, Carpenter broadened his scope with Big Trouble in Little China, a large-scale action comedy incorporating elements of Asian cinema. Russell stars as the blunderingly macho Jack Burton, who must rescue his friend's green-eyed fiancée when she's abducted by an evil sorcerer. Ahead of its time in terms of its Asian influences, Big Trouble boasts an equally interesting and unusual score. With more complexity than prior Carpenter scores, this one incorporates the usual electronica with feisty guitar work, oriental motifs, and a theme song performed by Carpenter's own rock band, the Coupe de Villes.
Carpenter was adamant that this score wouldn't resemble the typical rinky-tink chop suey music utilised in other American films about Chinese characters. While it's a much more complex score than anything he'd done to this point, it's still recognisable as a John Carpenter score. Big Trouble in Little China has garnered a dedicated cult following now, but its box office failure at the time made Carpenter feel disillusioned with the Hollywood system, and he soon retreated back into lower budget independent filmmaking. He returned in 1987 with Prince of Darkness, his homage to the work of sci-fi screenwriter Nigel Neal, in which the supernatural is investigated by rigorously scientific means. Starring Donald Pleasance, the film is about a group of scientists and theology students who are investigating a mysterious cylinder in a deserted church. Prince of Darkness forms part of Carpenter's Apocalypse trilogy alongside The Thing and In the Mouth of Madness. It's one of his bleakest outings, as the characters gradually become possessed by the force inside the cylinder, which turns out to be Satan himself. contains some of the director's most surreal imagery and provocative ideas. The heavy downbeat tone is enhanced by a dank, throbbing score, which incorporates electronically processed choral arrangements with a drudging bass line. It's chilling, to say the least. After Prince of Darkness, Carpenter's next project would combine exploitative action movie traits with a scathing social commentary unravelling as an assault on the mindless consumerism of contemporary Western society. Containing the longest fight scene in cinema history, They Live stars ex-wrestler Rowdy Roddy Piper as a down-on-his-luck drifter who realises that the Earth has been invaded by aliens who use the subliminal power of advertising to control the population. When he wears specially manufactured sunglasses, he sees how the world really is. Advertising billboards, TV commercials, Newspapers and adverts all preach messages of conformity, which are absorbed subconsciously by the population at large. He can also see the disguised alien humanoids that walk amongst us in all their gory glory, and soon joins an underground resistance movement in an attempt to expose and overthrow them. They Live would mark a significant departure for Carpenter in terms of his film music. It boasts a bluesy, guitar-driven vibe, which would later be echoed in the likes of vampires, and comes complete with dragging beats and harmonica riffs, which underpin the nomadic and downtrodden life of the blue-collar protagonist.
Carpenter scaled things back again with his first foray into television. Body Bags was initially intended as a Tales from the Crypt-style TV series, but Showtime networks changed their minds shortly after filming had already begun, and the three completed stories, two directed by Carpenter and one by Toby Hooper, were edited together as a TV movie anthology, with Carpenter playing up to his reputation as a master of the macabre by portraying the creepy morgue attendant in the framing narrative. Carpenter's segment, titled The Gas Station, revolves around a young college student who starts working at an all-night filling station. After she hears reports on the radio about a serial killer who has broken out of a nearby mental hospital, the young woman becomes increasingly unnerved by the various oddball late-night customers, any one of whom could be the escaped killer. Carpenter teamed up with guitarist Jim Lang to compose the music for Body Bags, a moody affair that amalgamates the typical electronic processed atmospherics with the rocky guitar riffs that were becoming more apparent in his scores. Much like his score for Big Trouble in Little China, Carpenter's music for his next film, In the Mouth of Madness, demonstrates much more complexity than his prior work. Twistedly unravelling as an exploration of the effects of violent entertainment on society and as a homage to H.P. Lovecraft, Madness marks yet another departure for Carpenter in terms of style. It boasts quickfire editing and a flashback-based narrative, telling the unsettling story of P.I. John Trent, who discovers that reclusive horror writer Sutter Kane's best-selling novels have the power to obliterate the line between fantasy and reality. The final part of his Apocalypse trilogy, In the Mouth of Madness's score, was another collaboration between Carpenter and Jim Lang. Kicking off with a high-octane, Metallica-sounding rock theme, later echoed in the likes of Ghosts of Mars, the rest of the score soon settles to more ominous sound designs and eerie atmospheric drone textures which really enhance the Lovecraftian themes of insanity and skulking otherworldly terrors.
For his next film, Carpenter adapted John Wyndham's classic sci-fi chiller, The Midwich Cuckoos. Village of the Damned concerns the plight of a sleepy town, the entire female population of which becomes pregnant when they emerge from a mysterious trance. When the children are born, they have unusual features such as white hair, piercing green eyes and a creepy psychic connection. They set about causing the deaths of their parents, and soon the entire town is at their mercy. Critically mauled at the time of its release, this is one of Carpenter's least successful films, and unlike The Thing and Big Trouble in Little China, it hasn't gained a critical reappraisal throughout the years. Despite teaming up with Dave Davies from The Kinks, this is also one of Carpenter's least interesting scores, although it does feature a number of beautiful guitar compositions amid the rather cheap-sounding electronic music. and Snake Plissken is once again called in by the United States government to recover a potentially dangerous doomsday device from Los Angeles, now an autonomous island state where society's miscreants and anyone brave enough to oppose the fascist-like government are deported to. Not so much a, a sequel as a retread of Escape from New York. LA is bigger, faster and much dumber than its predecessor. The emphasis here is firmly on comedic and overblown action sequences though there is some scathing critique of right-wing government regimes buried beneath the dated effects and uneven tone. The soundtrack consists of reworkings of some material from Escape from New York, and it was composed and performed by Carpenter and Shirley Walker, who had previously scored Carpenter's Memoirs of an Invisible Man. The soundtrack features an array of rock songs by the likes of Stabbing Westward, Tool, Tori Amos and White Zombie. The score is one of Carpenter's more complex, in which he utilises not only his trademark electronica, but some rock-orientated fare and a barrage of clanking industrial percussion. After the commercial failure of Escape from LA, Carpenter returned with the pared-down horror-western Vampires, in which a team of assassins employed by the Vatican travel the country slaying pesky bloodsuckers. Borrowing Bram Stoker's idea that vampires share a psychic link with those they've fed off, and dispelling with more conventional vampire film mythology, Carpenter's film unravels as a down-and-dirty road movie that has been described as the Wild Bunch meets Vlad the Impaler. It's the closest the filmmaker has ever come to actually directing a western, and it features a moody guitar-based score evoking a desolate, parched atmosphere. It took five weeks to score the film, and Carpenter worked with a roster of renowned blues musicians. It really enhances this, the dusty, sun-scorched landscapes and squalid motel rooms the story plays out in, although it's not without its surprisingly tender moments, as you will hear.
The more guitar-orientated music of Carpenter's later scores would take a much heavier and aggressive turn on his next film, 2001's Ghosts of Mars. The story of human colonists on Mars who must be rescued after becoming possessed by the vengeful ghosts of ancient Martian warriors, it's essentially Assault on Precinct 13 on Mars. Collaborating with the likes of thrash metal band Anthrax, Steve Vai, Buckethead, and former Guns N' Roses, current Nine Inch Nails guitarist Robin Fink, it's an energetic and bombastic heavy metal score which pairs driving metal riffs with high-octane action sequences and contains more screeching guitar solos than the entire back catalogue of Jimi Hendrix. It lends what was to be one of Carpenter's most critically derided films, a frantic pace and over-the-top gung-ho tone. So there we have it, a whirlwind tour of the music of John Carpenter, the influence of which stretches long throughout the years. This is particularly evident in the work of various European dance genres such as Italo Disco, 
and artists like Ryan Paris, Gazebo and Spagna, as well as German electronic outfits like the Splash Band, who actually released an album of dance mixes of Carpenter themes. In more recent times, his influence can be heard in the resurgence of electronic and synthesizer music by the likes of Zombie Zombie, Lego Welt, Book of Shade and Midnight Juggernauts, all of whom have openly acknowledged his influence on their music. Zombie Zombie even went as far as releasing an EP of Carpenter covers. In terms of film scores, Carpenter's influence can be heard in the likes of Robert Rodriguez's Planet Terror, with its gloomy, throbbing synthesizers perfectly evoking an 80s-produced splatter movie, and in Giorgio Moroder's score for Midnight Express. Indeed, some of Moroder's collaborations with disco diva Donna Summer also have a distinct Carpenter vibe to them. Just check out the beginning of I Feel Love and you'll see what I mean. While Carpenter has been somewhat more reclusive lately, and has abstained completely from composing the music for his last few projects, he and his son Cody are apparently currently working on an album together. With a body of work such as Carpenter's, it will always be interesting to see what he comes up with next. There is no doubt whatsoever of the legacy that stems from his distinctive career, not only as a filmmaker, but as a film composer and as a pioneer of electronic music. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. For more information on Paracinema magazine and to check out the Audiodrome reviews, head over to paracinema.net. While you're there, why not pick up issue 17 of the magazine? Inside you'll find articles and essays on the likes of VHS Cinema, subversive horror films from the 1930s, Sergio Martino, Django and The Karate Kid to name but a few. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you could dig it.